if I go to the worldly things, immediately I start to feel heavy. The hope gets drained a little bit. But then as soon as I flip onto something, you know, maybe a divine liturgy or something that is more heavenly focused, everything changes. The lightness replaces the heaviness. You can build the heart of a lion with a strong mind and spirit. Because a lion's natural state is one of safety through courage, strength, and power. Hi, I'm the shepherd and pastor, Dr. Matt Hook. And I'm the shrink, Dr. Marty Fletcher. This is the show where theology meets psychology. Or mental health meets spirituality. Welcome to the Shepherd and the Shrink podcast. Before we start the show, I have something to share with you. If you or someone close to you is suffering from a sense of anxiety or loneliness, the truth is anxiety disorders are the most common mental illness affecting 40 million adults in the United States every year alone. And according to a recent study, more than 60% of Americans report feeling lonely, left out, poorly understood, and lacking companionship. This matters a lot because loneliness is stressful enough to raise all-cause mortality by up to 30%. So, I've written a free guide with 10 ways you can start to overcome anxiety and defeat your loneliness. Don't wait on positive emotions. Learn how to create them for yourself starting right now. You can grab the guide by heading over to drmartinfletcher.com. That's doctor spelled drmartinfletcher.com. Hey, Marty. Hey, Matt. Welcome to the holidays on this unprecedented, most unprecedented year of any year. It's an odd one, isn't it? It is bizarre. I thought 2020 was supposed to give us like clear vision or something like that. And it's the complete, well, I was going to say it's the complete opposite, but maybe it's not. Maybe because we're having to readjust so many things, we're getting new clarity that we never had before because we were always so dang busy. Yeah, let's take a look at that today. You brought up an interesting topic. What are you seeing out there? Well, I'm seeing a lot of people say, this isn't supposed to be the way it is. This is different this year, which obviously it is. But I'm seeing a lot of people with a lot of defeat. I'm seeing people with a lot of denial or not. They're not, I mean, there's no choice but to accept what's going on. But the idea that we are somehow in denial that, that this isn't supposed to to happen. Yes, we live in a broken, fallen world with diseases and horrible things that happen. And yet we come to the holidays of 2020 as though we're living something that we completely wish we weren't and we're not dealing very well with it. Right. And if it's not denial, it's resistance. Is there a psychological framework for resistance? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I want to talk about that today because I don't think you can understand any of this, especially the holidays, but any of this COVID thing without understanding what grief and loss is and the effects that has and and what causes that ambiguous feeling of something's not right. Yeah. Okay. I want to get to the bottom of that, kind of the essence of that, and then also what to do about it. So first to understand it and then try to find a way through. I think that would be great. You know, so many of us spend so much of our time wishing that things were different. And I think when we build up so much resistance that we, we miss out on how things are and where God is and where health is in the midst of, of this, because we're building up so much resistance because we're spending all of our time wishing for the old days or wishing for pre-COVID or wishing for things not to be the way that they are. 
Yeah, what I'm hoping that you can do for us is fit this into the Christian frame of reference. Okay. Because I find that when I shift, like even on YouTube, you know, you got a YouTube stream, swipe it down. If I go to the worldly things, immediately I start to feel heavy. The hope gets drained a little bit. But then as soon as I flip onto something, you know, maybe a divine liturgy or something that is more heavenly focused, everything changes. The lightness replaces the heaviness. Yes. And I don't believe by not clicking on so many streams that we are somehow in denial. What do you mean by that? Well, I think a lot of us think, ah, I just want to escape from the reality of the situation. And that's not it. The true reality, I believe, I would say, is God, is the universe. If you're going to understand this at all, it's going to be through those lenses, I think. And I know because I can feel it. And you're right. There's people who feel like it's their duty to know about the precise suffering that CNN or Fox is going to show you. Now, there's plenty in your own community, of course, right? There's plenty in your own life, but you're going to be a responsible citizen by having that knowledge. And then that's all you have to do. Just learn what that news show is telling you. And somehow that makes you a good citizen. Yeah. Yeah. And it's a crazy maker as much as it is. I think, no, that's what I'm saying. I think that here's what happened. So how has the world been improved if I watch, I don't know, I won't pick a name, but somebody who's trying to get me scared, angry, overly concerned or whatever. Right. What effect does that have after I flip the channel? I've watched it now. I feel those emotions that you have. I don't, I think that it's added usually damage. Now you have one more angry, scared, judgmental person on the planet, you. Exactly. Now, now, if you want to take that information and go and do something about it and maybe to relieve some suffering and you don't let it damage you spiritually, because this is damaging people spiritually. If anyone has put the hate toward and judgment towards another person, if they put that into your heart, they've damaged you because there's a way to do everything that you need to do without those poisons. Yeah. You know, even before COVID, a year ago in our church, I proclaimed not like no shave November. I proclaimed no vent. November. Yeah. And I thought it was going to go viral and national, but it didn't. But I got pushback from some people in our church that said, I have to be able to, basically they were saying, I have to be able to complain because things are so bad in so many ways. And their complaining was somehow justified. And anger in and of itself is not justification for being right. But that's kind of what we're led to, to feel simply by all the online clicks. What does venting do? Because here's what I know. Emotions are contagious, aren't they? Yeah. So if suddenly you behaved as if you're alarmed or under threat, I'm going to feel that even from the screen. I'm going to be like, what's wrong? What's wrong? If you start to get really negative and angry and hateful, judgmental, I'm going to feel that icky feeling. You know, conversely, if you smile a lot and you start giving me a hopeful message, I'll feel that too. I would want them to know what are you achieving? You know, what, what's, the, what's the goal when you do that? Because I have patients who do this, and we know a hundred right now, because we've got the research, that the more of that media you consume, the worse your mental health effects. Say that again. The more? The more, it's dose dependent. The more you watch that stuff, that media, that, that alarmist, agitation, propaganda, all that stuff, the worse your mental health is, the worse your relationships are. Go ahead and vent to people. See, see where that gets you. Now, I'm not saying, well, let me be clear, because I don't want to get anybody mad at me. They probably will. You, you take this away, it's like taking away their blankie, right? Because it makes them feel powerful and good. But what I, I want them to not suffer. So, I'm going to ask them, what do you think you're cheap? First of all, who do you think you are? Because I don't assume everybody is going to adopt my opinion about the world. 
I just don't assume it because it's not true. Why would I think that I'm going to be able to dominate your thinking with my thoughts and convince you because this isn't going to be a rational discussion? Why? First of all, I'd start with that. Am I arrogant? Mm-hmm. I'm not saying everybody is, so I don't need to get any blowback from this. I'm trying to help, okay? And I could be wrong too. Okay. First of all, am I arrogantly assuming that I don't need to listen to the other person or understand them and that what I think is so right on that I, it, it should spread towards the world? I should be at the top of that hierarchy of, of knowledge. Secondly, from a pragmatic point of view, am I really helping? Because what really happens when you try to convince someone that they're very wrong about their worldview, a deeply held belief, they're not going to appreciate that at all. They're going to feel attacked. So, so pragmatically, is it even accomplishing what I think it's going to accomplish, which is I know the truth and I'm going to give you the truth and um, you better listen to it. I just don't see the value and I think it does more damage. I wish people could understand how swept up in the wave they are. In whatever wave, whatever direction, from whatever source, simply clicking like or sharing a post does. You know, there's one other huge problem with this, and it is the opportunity cost of what it takes to our emotional spectrum of our emotions, what it takes for our time to get so caught up on our phones or on our devices that it takes us away from anything creative. It takes us away from anything loving. It takes us away from any way that we can serve someone else. It may separate us from God, which is the God of peace, the God of understanding, the God of loving your enemy. If it's taking you away from that, that's enough to cause all sorts of problems downstream. Let me say one thing that happened. I had a person, because that's real. I want to be sympathetic. Like people really believe like sky's falling, sky's falling. Okay. Maybe sky's falling. I don't know. But that's the way they feel. I'll know when it hits me on the head. <laughs> you're, you're walking in the sky, technically, right? So here's what I was accused of not be, of being irresponsible by not taking that bait, you know, watching those news shows. So I just said, I said, look, let's make a list. For last month, who have you touched in a positive way? How have you improved? I'll make my list because that's my, my mission. You know, if, if we're going to get into a, a spitting contest, right, we can do that. But, I, but not to, to one up, but to say, I think that you're deluded. I think that you feel like you're doing something really important. I think you might be causing more problems like in your family if you're going to not talk to your sister or brother because they disagree with your worldview. But, you know, I'll answer that charge. Okay. And then my list will be really <laughs> long and yours will be not because you've done nothing except for feel awful and right. spread that. I've clicked like a whole bunch of times. That does something for somebody, doesn't it? Every time you click that like, that's one fewer day in purgatory. (laughs) Nice try. Okay. Well, this is exactly the problem. I think we've named the issue. And as we approach traditions, whether you're a part of this conversation during the holidays or not, but the holidays, it gets exacerbated, I think, is... What has happened? What is happening? And my old way of coping, my old way of enjoying my life does not work anymore. I cannot just go up and give a hug to somebody that I care about if I'm not podding with them or sheltering with them. And there is one of the most beautiful chapters in all of the Bible, and it is from the prophet of Isaiah, who is 700 years before the birth of Christ. And yet he also prophesies about Christ a lot. And Christ the Savior, Christ the Messiah, Christ the suffering servant. That's all in Isaiah. And one of the things that Isaiah is doing is he is giving prophecy when God's people have been taken away. Not all the people, but all of the ruling class, all of the smart people, all of the cultural elite were taken into exile. Exile meaning they were marched off in chains to Babylon. 
and they felt abandoned by God. None of the things that they had before were there anymore. So my question is, for those people, what does a Jew do if their temple is gone? Are they mm-hmm. still a Jew? Are they still Jewish? It causes this great identity crisis. They were so tied in with the land. They were so tied in with the physical act of worship that it makes it, it had to make them wonder, what do I do now? Am I still with God, even though it seems as though God has abandoned me or these prophets are saying, no, you caused this. And I guess we could ask the same thing for people, whether they're Jewish or whatever faith they are. Like I would say, am I still a Christian, even if I am unable to go to church because of my health, because the church is closed, because the government's trying to make a move, because whatever it might be, what do I do? So God is speaking through Isaiah to exiled people. God says, I'm going to do something new. And that message is for us today. Listen to the first word of Isaiah 40, verse 1. Comfort. Yes. Listen to the first words of Isaiah chapter 40. Comfort. Comfort my people, says your God. That's it. Comfort. Comfort my people, says your God. This would be like God speaking to Isaiah. And then he says, speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed, that her sin has been paid for, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. What has happened in this exile that has given the Jews new insight? In some ways, we could ask the same question, what has COVID done for us? For a lot of people, it's what's important. They got out of the rat race. They got out of the chauffeur business and running through a drive through and not getting home until nine o'clock and starting their kids' homework with them then. A new rhythm has come out of it for some people. We can't expect the same old things in this new environment. And I think that we are so vulnerable to try to expect the same comfort from the old ways that God is saying, I'm going to bring you a new comfort. Okay, good. This is really good stuff. Keep going. Okay. The idea of this new rhythm that that so much of my life is built around my expectations about what worked for me in the past, what worked, how did I encounter God? Where did I find my peace? How did I find my identity? You know, the fact is your life is completely changed. It's completely different than it was six months ago. And so is mine. And so I would say this, don't go into Christmas with the same old expectations. Don't go into 2021 with the same old expectations. A brand new revelation has come of who God is. And you can find it in Isaiah chapter 40. Here's what it goes on to say. I'm going to start over again. Comfort, my people, says your God. They're in exile. And yet God has the audacity to give the prophet the words for them, comfort. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem. They're in exile. God is tender in how he reveals his truth. Truth is gentle. It is tender. And this communication comes in that way in the midst of very challenging times. Proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed. Verse 3 says this, a voice of one calling in the desert, prepare the way for the Lord. A lot of us feel like we've been in a desert for nine. Mm -hmm. In the desert, prepare the way for the Lord. A voice of one is calling in the desert, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the wilderness a highway for our God. Make straight in the wilderness 
There is nowhere in scripture that is saying it is, they're saying this because it's uncomfortable. They are in a wilderness. It feels like a desert. It is exile. And verse four says this, every valley shall be raised up, every mountain and hill made low. The rough ground shall become level and the rugged places a plain. And the glory of the Lord will be revealed and all humanity together will see it for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Man, that's a, that's that's re- like gave me chills. Wow. God's words can do that. Like like you keep saying it's meditation literally. Yeah. If somebody has not read and and it's tricky because it's good to know the context of who Isaiah is and who he's speaking to and the situation of the people, but I would just say they are in exile, but it's not going to be forever. Yeah, look, can we look, this is a great model for for what I was hoping to talk about cuz it fits the pattern. Okay. What was the problem with being in exile? So what? You're in exile. Who, who says it's not something that's, you know, we don't mind change as long as we go to something better, right? And as long as we have predictability and control about it, because that's why traditions work. And that's, that's why they're, they're powerful, because they allow us entry into that feel, those feelings, you know, that we had in the past, right? They, they, they trigger by association. So that thing on the top of the tree doesn't change every year, does it? Right. right. It's got to be the same thing. I grew up with a star. My wife grew up with an angel on top of her tree. Guess what we have on top of our tree? An angel. <laughs> they own the house. I told you. you, you get the garage in the basement. They own the house. And the yard. That's, that's where, yeah, that's where they keep their stuff. So you get the yard and you get the... So here's, here's what's happening. This is why grief is a good model for it. Because we can... And I think it fits nicely into the Christian worldview. Okay. There were things in Egypt, right? Is that what they were? Well, that was further. That wasn't exile that was slavery okay but why are they in exile they are in exile because they fell down and worshiped every sex thing that they could they broke the covenant with god that he's god delivered them out of slavery in Egypt 700 years before this and then over the 700 years god said i will be your god i will protect you if you will be my people it was a two-way covenant and what happened was god kept his end of the covenant but the people completely abandoned their identity in God. And so God allowed natural consequences. You know, I think we get mad at God and we're like, oh, why is God punishing me? And that would be like me eating seven cheeseburgers a day and getting mad at God because my health went down. Right. Look, the, the commands are there to keep us on the path and out of trouble. When we disobey those, okay, you got off the path. I told you not to. Now you're in a briar patch. He didn't do that to you. He told you, stay on this path. I'm going to teach you how. And then you strayed from the path. It's not like he produced a bunch of briars immediately just to punish you and spank you. Exactly. He gives us freedom for all that. So uh, out of slavery, God called his people. He gave them an identity. He gave them his word. He gave them the law of the prophets, the Torah, which doesn't just mean a bunch of do's and don'ts. It means he gave them his character. The character of God is contained in the Torah. Like this is how we do it in our family. Well, I'm glad that you said that because what we said earlier, that, that kind of clarifies it. So I'm not, I don't want to mislead or cause any misunderstanding. The character of God. As we stray from that, I don't care what you do in the world as activity, right? It can even look good on the surface, but it really matters spiritually, right? So if what's the character of God, Matt? Yeah. Give me his qualities. Love. Okay, boom. Because you stop on that one? Because if you are acting out of love, you can do everything you need to do out of love. Out of, uh, you know, you can correct someone's political opinion if you think you need to do that or give them a new fact. You don't need the hate. 
right? The hate is the more destructive thing than the piece of information you think you need to get across. Right. Because right? that's soul killing. And look at what Isaiah says about how God instructs him to speak to the people of Jerusalem. Mm-hmm. Comfort, comfort, my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem. If we are acting out of love, unless somebody's about to be hit by a bus, it is done with gentleness, it is done with tenderness, and we're proclaiming. I mean, there's confidence that we can have, but it's a humble confidence. That's how I, if I could pick two words to live my life by, it would be humble confidence that I would strive for. Okay, so confidence is a peaceful feeling, right? I can go get a speech and I'm at peace, right? Because I feel like I'm competent enough and I'll be okay if I get in a jam. So you do kind of get that peaceful feeling with that. But I think that we go to the past and we go to how God has worked in the past to get that peaceful feeling. The Israelites that were, the Jews that were in Babylon, who are getting enculturated in a whole different set of, of gods, of practices, of all of that. And some people just blended in with Babylon and, and were lost to history. Mm-hmm. The Jews were who did that. And Isaiah is saying here, though, don't, don't miss this big message. And it is, it's not, I'm going to bring you back and everything's going to be the same. What he's saying is, I'm going to give you a brand new revelation of who God is. Don't go into this new season with the same old expectation. Yeah, and also the imagery and symbolism that Isaiah writes with is, look, wildernesses are wild. They're unpredictable. They're hard to navigate. You can get lost in that wilderness to have a path coming through. God wants to bring order into our lives. Now, here's what happened. Our order, that control and predictability, that, those, those traditions, those people, it's gone right now, or much of it's gone. It's been altered. So now guess what happens? Anomi, which is the, the, the experience of where's the meaning in my life? And we need meaning in life. It goes bad if we don't have meaning, right? Meaning means relevance and value, right? This experience is very relevant. It matters and, and very valuable, right? It's a, I affirm it as good. When that's gone and there's a vacuum there, it needs to be filled. And the extent of the losses, I say losses, need to be accounted for and felt because that's how reality gets inside of us. That's how we accept reality, right? Is feel the extent of the loss, account for all the losses because it's not evident right away when it's a big shift and feel that loss. And then you can discover what's left over, what remains. And that's the new meaning. Does that make sense? It does. And I think that what the danger is, is when we cannot find meaning and our brain, our emotions will grab onto anything. Oh gosh, yeah. Especially the hedonistic things because it will give us the pleasure without the meaning. Yeah. And it tries to it tries to put meaning on, oh, the world is out to get me. Most of us can handle one or two bad things at a time. But when it comes in clusters is when you really gotta watch out. Disorder. Yeah. When you when you really need to grab onto some meaningful community. And I'm not just talking like you said, the hedonistic kind of thing. Yeah. Can I, can I just add one thing? Because what people don't know is there is a, there are upsides to losses. That's kind of crude to say it that way, but there's transformation that can come through a major loss. So I got into psychology at 17. I want to talk a little bit about my sister. Mm -hmm. I got into psychology at 17 because I had a giant experience of, of, and something shifted in me and I, and I didn't have language for it. So I pursued psychology to go, okay, something's different in me, right? It was like the first sort of mini awakening I had. What happened was my sister died. She suffered and I watched it and I was pretty much alone in the whole thing, right? Didn't have a lot of support, didn't understand it. There's a lot of chaos going on in the house, but I did watch that. Something strange happened, even though it was deep, deep grief. Because remember, major loss with the suffering, 
which can traumatize a kid. You know, when you see that kind of stuff back then, the treatments were different for cancer. Leukemia is what she died of. And nobody was there to help interpret anything. It's like I don't want to say too much. But we didn't understand and things like that. I don't want to say too much because I don't want anyone to feel like I'm blaming it, but I'm not. This was actually ended up good. Something opened up after that. Like I was like, and I'll tell you what it was, but the way I would describe it is, wow, I'd never even thought like an ontological shift of I'm alive. Because when your sibling goes and that's the first big thing with death, you realize this world isn't as stable as you think it is. All of these things can go away and they will. And if it happened to her, it will happen to me. So what happened was on the painful side, that's obvious, probably you can imagine. But the energy that I got to move forward in life and a lot of anxiety went away and, and trees look different. Cause I felt like I'd never really looked at a tree. Right. Cause I'm, I was, I was asleep, but this woke me up to realize I'm, I have an existence. And then I pursued the spiritual paths, right. I didn't want Christianity cause I didn't want to obey. <laughs> I want to keep my habits and still be you know, spiritual. Right. Right. But not religious. Okay. What was that? Here's what I think it was. You'll realize the extent You'll realize what's precious when you lose something. The things that you took for granted, the gratitude shift that happened just kind of organically with me. Okay. That was what happened. Wow. Does that make sense? So why why am I bringing that up now? Because we want to use that as a model. Mm -hmm. There are painful losses in this and deep disappointments, but what we want to do because we're Christ followers, we want to have meaning in that, right? And it's it's there to be had and you're going to tell us how. Well, I, I can say a few more things about that because, because of these words. There is a God is going, I believe, to keep us from expecting the same old way over and over and over again. And he says, comfort my people, prepare a way. And he goes on to say, and the glory of the Lord will be revealed and all humanity together will see it. Well, there's this clear demarcation into glory. Now, the other big time that the scripture talks about the glory of the Lord, the Shekinah glory of the Lord, was when the temple was built. And it was so powerful, the priests couldn't even be inside the temple. Yeah. So glory is power, right? Yeah. Glory is power. It's radiance. Awe-inspiring power, right? Mm-hmm. Like drop on your knees, power, right? Yeah. Glory. Yeah. yeah. And, and do you know where the next great moment of glory came the next great moment of glory, he was reminding him, the glory of the Lord shall be revealed when every valley is raised up, every mountain and hill made low, the rough ground shall become plain, the rugged places shall become level, and the glory of the Lord will be revealed, and all humanity will see it. And he goes on to say, you who bring good news, good tidings to Zion, you bring good tidings to Jerusalem. That's what God's message was. Lift up your voice with a shout. Lift it up. Do not be afraid. Say to the town of Judah, here is your God. Well, do you know the next time that the the angels, the angel armies that that filled the temple with the glory of God showed up. It was at the birth of Jesus Mm -hmm. and the shepherds were terrified, but the angel armies came and said, hold, I bring you good news of great joy unto you is born this day in the city of David, which is Bethlehem, a savior who's Christ, the Lord, the Messiah, the anointed one of God. We're expecting God to do the same thing in the same way. But Isaiah says, I am the Lord. I am your Holy one. And this is God who made a way through the sea to get the people out of slavery. And that's a part of our story. And we should not deny the the victories that we've had in the past. We should not deny that God saw us through 
the things that God saw through. We should not deny that God latched onto our hearts and, and enabled us to experience him. That is a part of your story now and always. And we live it out in real life when nothing seems to be going right. But here's the deal. It's not the same in the future. Even church is not the same. Your job may be no longer the same than it ever was. And in Isaiah, he talks about, do not dwell on the former things. Do not dwell on the past. So here's the deal. These people who are living in exile, they're looking for the past. And for them as a Jewish nation, as Jewish people, they're looking for Moses. But God was sending him Jesus. Yeah, their hope was in a different Messiah. Yeah, their old identity, the deliverer of Moses, the leadership. You know, leadership can be crazy. Leadership can be cruel. Leadership can be wrong. Mm-hmm. And in the midst of what we've experienced over and over and over again, God says, I'm going to bring you something new. It is going to be comfort. I'm speaking to you tenderly, a voice of one calling in the desert, prepare the way of the Lord. And I think as we think about holidays, as we think about what people are going through, including the loved ones around us that we don't understand, the fact is we don't even know what we need. Right. think we know what we need. And a lot of us, if we are not serving, if we are not plugged into some kind of a community, if we are not a part of anything bigger than ourselves or what we read or click on, then we, we forget where God is leading you and me and whoever into the future. It looks like Jesus. Hey, I have a question for you. What gets in between the, the Christ follower and hope? What interrupts hope? Because we're, you know, if it's in God's hands and um, he gives us what we need to navigate around here in this type of world and carry our cross, you know, and bear this, what do you see getting in the way? What prevents hope? I think it's a lot of little things. Okay. I think that, you know, throughout the Bible, it talks about how we relate in the world. God, God is our shepherd. We're like sheep. You know, a lot of people may have heard Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me down paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yeah. And the way that I heard it explained from an old lady who grew up in farm country, she said, sheep don't run away. They don't, they don't run away from the shepherd or from safety. What they do is they nibble themselves lost. There you go. So, so the distractions of the world, which we're warned against a lot, you know, the shiny things and the squirrels and all that. Huh? Nobody sets out to rob a bank, but they might set out to tell a little lie to make their life a little easier. And what happens is this sheep is eating some good grass and they look up 10 feet away. There's some more good grass. So they go. Okay. So keep your eye on the shepherd. Yeah. We're so busy consuming that mm-hmm. we... We forget that, that we have a relationship that is not, it's automatic, but it's not automatic. It, look, this is so relevant because here's what happens. We know this now. Psychology has changed a lot since the 80s, since we've been able to image the brain and see how the power of the mind on the brain, because we always thought the brain created all these experiences. It's reciprocal, right? So this is why I think the disciplines are so important. We are rewiring our brain to be looking for the shepherd to be looking at Christ through practices and rituals and prayers, thousands and thousands of prayers and, you know, resisting the temptation to hate somebody 
or to be condemn them or judge them. We're actually creating, when he says you're created, you're a new being. Yeah. You're, you start that process of, of theosis, right? Of becoming more like God. It, it's not going to happen by an incantation though. You have to practice these things and you have to repent when you do, when you realize, oh my gosh, I hated that person mm-hmm. based on a piece of gossip I got off of social media. That was wrong. I'm going to repent bitterly and turn away from that and, 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 and put my eye back on the shepherd. Yeah. Oh, that's huge. Then it becomes automatic. You've practiced enough where more automatic, you know, we're still human. Exactly. And I think that we have unrealistic expectations. We think some outside magical thing is going to happen because we watch too many movies. Mm -hmm. Outside magical things happen to people. I just tithe and do whatever I want. That's right. (laughs) No. Uh, There's something to that. I heard somebody say once, if you love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and love your neighbor as yourself, then... If you're doing that and that's in place, then you can do whatever the heck you want. That's right. And you will behave differently. It changes everything. Okay, good. This is good. And one thing I do want to throw in that I hope that you'll address is help us to create at least a composite of what this holiday can be in terms of meaning, right? What would it look like to find meaning? Because you're having to do this and I'm having to do this. So we can talk about that, I think. Right. I think that one trap is sentimentality. Okay, say more about that. Okay. I am a sentimental person. I'm a nostalgic person. I love old music. I love old movies. I love old style things. And that in and of itself is okay. But I think that I could almost turn sentimentality, you know, feeling those feelings, those comfort feelings into something other than God's best for my life. And I could look to those. And so I think that we need to remember like the Israelites who were in captivity. And God said, are you going to be a Jew even though the temple is gone from you, even though you are gone from the temple? My identity is nothing short of being a child of the king. I'm royalty, if you want to put it that way. And as I approach the holiday, I need to realize I am royalty living in exile. What do I do? How do I let the the cultural input that I am surrounded by, the negativity that I'm surrounded by, not affect the fact that I'm a child of the king, that I have been created with God's purpose in mind. And so I have to look for other sources of identity. I have to look, I think one thing for this Christmas or this whatever you're facing is is, uh, new inputs. For you, it might mean taking time to read scripture, taking time to pray, finding a way to serve somebody else. I'm kind of on a kick right now of asking other people and asking myself, do I have a God life? Do I have any time when things are quiet or I'm doing something where I can focus on God at home and in community, whether it's worshiping online, whether it's worshiping in person somehow, do I have a God life? Do I have a group life? Are there people in my life who speak truth into me that, that we do life together? And then thirdly, do I have a give life? And I think this is one gets left behind a lot because everyone's so afraid that we're going to think, oh, being a Christian, you earn your way to heaven. So it's not about what I do. It's not about what I do. It's about this relationship that I have. And yet the natural consequence of this relationship and doing life together is I give of myself. I give my service. I give of my money to causes and not just causes, but things that help other people find out more who God is. Yeah, I, I don't know how people miss it. I mean, it's all over uh, the teachings of Christ, which is do my will. 
I don't care really even what you say. You say lots of things, but do my will, what you do to the least of these. So when you've had that transformation and received the Holy Spirit, how could you refrain from it? You're just compelled to do that. Right. To be kind and generous and all that stuff. It's, it's who you are now. So I would say if you're facing a tough season, if you're facing sadness, if you're grieving for very good reasons, think about your life and think about, I want to express myself in these three ways, in a God life, in a group life, and in a give life. I want to love God. I want to love people. I want to serve the world and, and volunteer somewhere. There's plenty of opportunities these days. I think that that, that would transform and, and look for God in new ways, not for me, sentimentality. For somebody else, it might be, oh my gosh, my schedule is completely different. Well, don't shy away from that. Embrace it and see where God shows up in your new schedule or your lack of a schedule these days, it might be. Yeah, and that's, those are all good things. But, and let's also talk about attitude. Okay. The best part, I don't know what the best part, but one of the, the, the most valuable things on this walk is this. You will suffer. There will be trouble in the world. They were in exile. Exactly. But we were told there's gonna, there is trouble in the world. How are you going to be in the face of that trouble? Will you carry your cross? Or will you complain? Okay, so I'm not saying don't do anything. Carry your cross, right? No, have enough faith and confidence that this is going somewhere. And there's really nothing that can hurt you. I mean, Christianity, I don't know about the other religions, but, you know, our ancestors, early five, they're, they're willing to die. Yeah. It's because there's just no fear and they were martyred. Right. Okay. Yet we forget that attitude when something doesn't go the way that we dearly hoped. Okay. And I want to minimize that because we know that the most important thing through research, the most important thing that people say that matters the most isn't the spending and things like that. It's the family. Mm -hmm. So now this year you're in the desert. Okay. How are you going to be? How are we instructed to be in the face of suffering? Do we fight it, resist it, like you said earlier? I won't accept this. Here's the resistance. Or do you still follow the path and feel deeply? Jesus wept, right? Okay. Mm -hmm. Blessed are those who mourn. Why? Why? How will they be blessed, those who mourn? They will be comforted. And you're talking about comfort right now. And it really does work that way. But you have to trust that it's going somewhere and don't fight it. That's exactly right. And, and again, it's getting our eyes off of ourselves and, and focusing on what we do have, which is an amazing identity in God, which is a future that is secure, which is a purpose to live, which is joy to be had in the midst of the bad. And it doesn't mean happy. It's not light and airy and fluffy, but it provides a depth of meaning, whether or not December 25th equals what I'm used to or what I think it should mean. It could open up so much more if I can let go of what I think should be happening based on past experience. That was what this Isaiah message was to the people. God is doing a new thing. The valleys you're used to, the mountains, your hills you're used to, they're going to be leveled. And, and this is going to make a pathway for our God. Scripture helps too. So, Psalm 126, right? Those who sow with tears will reap with songs of joy. That's a faith that it's going, what you said earlier, I don't know if this is good or bad. I don't know how much good, nothing's all bad or all good usually, right? There's going to be a mix of something like, but I don't know until time unfolds, right? But to have scripture memorized has really helped me a lot and to memorize some prayers and things like that. If you want to flip the switch to the world that's dragging you down and making you feel bad quickly into the higher things, that's one really good way to do that. And there's something about memorizing scripture too, that it's not 
it's, it, it's so much more intimate. It becomes a part of us when we can say it, when we can re- repeat it, I think. Right. And don't think that it's some ancient thing that doesn't have new life for you tomorrow. Right. Exactly. It's, it's definitely a lot. Well, it's more alive now than ever, really, because it's spread. Scripture is more alive than ever because it's spread. Yeah. More people have it now. More people are living by the kingdom values or at least aspiring to. That's it. That's it. And we get to be a part of that. We get to be swept up in that. That is the prophecy that the glory of the Lord will be revealed. Right. And all nations will see it together. Do you have any more? I think this is amazing. Now it's a matter for me as a nostalgic back looking person to look for the new thing God is doing and meet him there. Right. I'll be right behind you. (laughs) How about next to me? Side by side. And God will be opening up the new things to us. Move into this future. Okay. Um, yeah. I don't know. I don't know what the future holds, but I know who holds the future. Yeah. And read Revelation. You know where it ends. So it's okay. God wins. I'll cut to the chase. God wins. We could have saved a lot of conversation for <laughs> Listen, let's pray. All right. I thank you so much, Lord, that you are not just the God of the past or some old man that sadly so many of us have an image of you as father time or something like that. But you are 100% present with us right now. You are doing a new thing and the glory of of who you are will be revealed and has been revealed. Forgive us, God, because we we want to look to the past, the mighty victories that we've had, the spiritual victories that we've had, the quiet victories that we've had, and let that be our identity. But we don't want to box you into those because you have yet to do amazing things in our lives. That's not just pie in the sky, but Lord, that that is something sound that we can rest in, that our hope is in. And that's not wishful thinking, but it's simply enacting now the way that you said it's supposed to be and will be in the heavenly kingdom that Jesus came and proclaimed. Lord, help us not to look back to Moses, but help us, God, to realize when we're looking for Moses, you're sending us Jesus. I pray, God, that you would help us, Lord, to embrace all of who you are in the midst of challenging times that you do not diminish, but that you enter and see us through. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Shepherd and the Shrink podcast. You can check out the show notes from this episode, get free resources, discover more about our work, and all the ways to subscribe so you never miss an episode of the show. Head over to drmartinfletcher.com.